going on, everybody? Uh, today's podcast is with Jay Glassman. Uh, Jay Glassman is the race director for the Toronto Good Life Marathon, and he's been doing that for – he touched on it in the podcast. I don't remember, but it's been for a good amount of time. Uh, we had a good conversation. I kind of had to cut it short um, because I had to go pick up my son from daycare. Um, but, yeah, listen in. We got off on a, I got a pretty good tangent about um, running with headphones and the dangers and stuff that can result from that. Um, but still a good listen, so uh, check it out. Before we get to the episode, uh, we're gonna go. We're gonna go into our sponsor, which is My Race Beach Runner. Beach Runner, Beach Runner One is coming to Wasega Beach this June, uh, June 10th to be exact. Um, it's the first of its kind, at least in this area. And what it is, it's a five or 10k race that's going to be held um, right along the shores of Wasega Beach, which is um, which is part of Georgian Bay. It's um, it's a gorgeous area. It's going to be gorgeous views. I think it's going to make for a great race, and I hope to see you all out there. Anyways, without any further ado, let's get on to this podcast with Jay Glassman. Hey, Jay. Yeah. How are you doing? Well, thanks. How are you? Not too bad. Uh, it's Caleb. Hey, okay. I thought it might be you. Yeah, yeah. I tried, uh, I tried a few... I was sort of running around. I had some meetings and stuff. So I, I literally just got to my desk and was looking up your number. So uh, glad that you called. Yes, no worries. I tried a few minutes ago and uh, I figured you you know, you were just doing something or whatever. Anyways, how's, uh, how's it going? How you been? Okay. Okay. Thanks. Yeah? Oh, good. And yourself? Uh, good? It's very good, yeah. I'm, uh, I don't know if I mentioned it the last time we spoke, but uh, I've only been here since January, and uh, so far so good. So. Where, where were you before? Uh, I grew up in Markham. Oh, okay. Yeah. Closer to the city. Okay, well, I'm in, um, you, you might know then where Uxbridge is, yep. which is just a little bit north of Markham. Yep. Uh, and that's where I live now. So I, I've been here three years. I, I grew up sort of Right on. How you like it there? I love it. Yeah? I, I love it. My parents had had a place out here for about 30 years, so uh, when they moved back to the city, uh, I took this place. So Cool, cool. And, you know, it's a nice town. It's close enough to the city that if I want any of the benefits of Toronto, it's it's a 40-minute drive into town. Yeah. Um, and, but at the same time, living in Uxbridge, which is basically a farming community um, yeah i haven't i haven't really been there all that much but uh that's kind of what i remember of it it's just a lot of i know there's a lot of trails and it's a lot, like a lot of just kind of wide open yeah well it, it's known for its trail yeah it, it actually does have a ton of trails and stuff up here and 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 it's considered part of the gta mm-hmm. but yet it's the 
it's the least populated part of the GTA. So, and the actual physical size of the township is is quite large, but no people. So yeah, and it's and it's restricted in terms of you know where development is and everything, which makes it kind of nice. So you have the benefits of being in the Greater Toronto area, but it's they're trying to maintain it as as a farming community. Yeah, um, which means that you know you don't have you know there are some smaller subdivisions and stuff but nothing huge absolutely so, yeah yeah so, anyway it's, it's all good cool um, anyway how's this going to work uh, um so i'm actually what i do is i just i'm at, like i'm i've started recording um oh, okay i uh i do just kind of edit it all afterwards anyways um <laughs> i just find it easier to record everything and then chop out you know chop out this part or whatever um, okay. All right. Well, so shoot and fire away, and hopefully, uh, you know, uh, I trust that when it's edited and edited down, it, it might actually be interesting to some people. <laughs> that's the yeah. You know, that's the goal. Um, oh, one thing I do want to mention is uh, like just kind of probably a couple times throughout the conversation, I'll just um, I'll just take a quick pause. Uh, and I'll let you know, you know, I'll just say, Hey Jay, we're taking a quick break right now. I'll, I'll just, I'll stay silent for, uh, three to five seconds and then I'll just come back on. Uh, when I edit that, um, afterwards, I'm going to just throw in a, um, like a, I have a little kind of bank of music and songs and stuff I throw in the goal. The goal with this podcast is, um, I don't, I can't remember if I mentioned it to you in the first email, but uh, it's called, I'm calling it the time to run podcast. So I'm, I'm really just kind of trying to create like the ultimate runners podcast. Um, so I'm trying to get in, you know, a whole bunch of different people, um, you know, race director. I've, it's been mostly race directors actually so far, but I'm, you know, I'm hoping to branch out into, uh, anyone really involved in race day and stuff as well as mixing in some music and, you know, hopefully, uh, some hardcore runners find it, um, helpful during the runs. Um, I ran, uh, I ran, I did like cross country and track and field, um, when I was younger, I took a little bit of a hiatus in high school. I, uh, I was playing hockey and stuff and I had a couple big shoulder injuries. Um, I had, uh, yeah, I had my first shoulder surgery when I was like 15 and then my second one when I was 18. So that sidelined me, um, actually more so than I thought, (laughs) Um, and then I, uh, I've recently just been getting back into it. I ran my first marathon in March. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying right now. I'm trying to get out as much as I can. And the ultimate goal is to become some kind of a uh, Nick Brindisi character who <laughs> runs these giant hundred mile races and stuff. Yeah, you, don't, you don't want to be that crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I had a, I did a, I did one of these podcasts with him, uh, not too long ago, um, uh-huh. a couple weeks now, and yeah, he's uh, he's a madman. <laughs> well, he, he, he's hardcore. Like, I mean, Nick is, is a terrific guy. Yeah. And, you know, the, the more you run, they say, you know, it gets the adrenaline going and everything, and Nick um, certainly, you know, runs the shorter distances, but excels at the longer distances and the tougher the course. You know, these are challenges for him that he, uh, that he gravitates to and loves. Absolutely. And, and he just gets such a high off them. So yeah. It's fun to be around him and watch him. I don't want to get too close. I wouldn't exactly hug him after he's run a 50 mile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, definitely not. Kind of sweaty and everything, but, oh, yeah. but it is amazing what, what he. And, and 
he does that like for fun and recreation. Yeah. You know, where a lot of people that would just, uh, you know, really knock him out. And, and Nick, it's, it's the longer and harder distances. Um, it's kind of keeps him going. Yeah, it's a significant um, like character trait I find that you know people gravitate towards like ridiculously hard challenges like that. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't know. I haven't known him for long. I really, uh, the first time I actually um, saw and met and talked with him was uh, the Collingwood Half Marathon. But oh, really? yeah, he's uh, he's a great guy. Well, even with that, Caleb, you know, with the challenges, he's also, you know, who, he's a great motivator to a lot of people. I've seen him work with all levels uh, of abilities. Yeah. And you know, from kids to to older adults and. Um, you know, he leads by example mm-hmm. and uh, and excels and and will work with people to uh, to get them motivated and get them going. And you know, it's also a firm believer is like you are what you eat, and you know he he takes good care of himself. Oh, absolutely. So, so he's uh, he's certainly uh, an example to a lot of people look up to. But um, absolutely, and, and we have fun together with Collingwood because when he presented the idea to me, yeah. definitely getting there yeah yeah and for many years it's just known really it's a winter ski destination but now you probably have more people up there during the summer months there's a lot there's a lot um, yeah than in the winter and uh you know we we like the idea we sort of refined it a little bit figured out uh, a route that would work um and as you know with the event um essentially starting and finishing at, at fisher field um People initially think Collingwood Well must be a hilly course, but it's actually a. That's what he was mentioning. He said there's uh, there's like less elevation change than I, th- I actually believe he said the Toronto Marathon. Yeah, there, there could be like I mean, yeah. it's, it's a fairly I wouldn't say flat course. There there are some hills on it. There's a little bit, uh, yeah. Um, Given the area, uh, though. And for the Toronto Marathon that I do, it's. Remember, that's a point-to-point course. So you're starting in the north end of the city at Young and, and Shepherd area at Nolaston Square. Yep. Uh, and you're running down, while well, Young Street is sort of the spine of the event, and you're running down Young Street, um, and it's all downhill. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, once you're at the top of the Hogs Hollow Hill, which is in the first couple of kilometers, it's basically it's a net elevation loss, um, you know, for the, the rest of the way down. And... Um, and down to the lakeshore. So, uh, you know, Collingwood is, though it's, uh, 
you know, is sort of a loop course starting and finishing in the same place. Um, it, it's a beautiful course. And people that have come and have run it and did well, uh, many people PB'd on it. Uh, but the emails that we got post-event for the last couple of years uh, has been really nice from people and very surprising, I think, for them and when they say to us, you know, we expected it to be a hilly course, uh, but, you know, it was, it was a much faster course and, and not nearly as hilly mm-hmm. as we thought it would be. And, uh, and, you know, the fall colors, you know, certain times of year, some years we've had more vivid colors than others, but... Yeah. Um, you know, the, the colors, uh, you know, can be really, really nice. And it's a nice community. So people are coming up there um, and hopefully, and a lot of people are staying for two days. So they, you know, they're, they're running and, and staying up there Saturday and Sunday before they head home. Yeah, absolutely. No, anyways, yeah. Um, yeah, I did, uh, I did actually want to congratulate you guys on that. It seemed like, other than the rain towards the end, it seemed like a pretty um, successful, successful day back when, I guess, when was that, October? Yeah, yeah, beginning of October, and it's you know you can't control the weather. Yeah, I mean um, it is what it know, is. For race directors, you try to do your best to try to plan for it in terms of how you're going to service the runners, but um, you know for some of my races, people who work with me know not not even talk to me about the weather a week before because often there's not a lot you can do about it. Yeah. Uh, for the longer distances, for runners that are preparing for the longer distances, that is a half marathon or marathon, uh, certainly they, they'll watch the weather and, and will dress appropriately or plan ac- accordingly. Yeah. Um, but they're often committed and are running regardless of the weather. Mm-hmm. For shorter distance races, you know, 5 to 10K. People tend to bail uh, out more. Yep. You know, people will often... Oh, you know the it, the weather's crappy out. It's raining. It's windy. It's snowing. Whatever. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not going to run. I'll I'll do the next 10k that comes up or something. Yeah. So absolutely. Um, you, we often see that, and you'll have greater attrition for the shorter distances often when the weather is inclement. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um. All right. So I do want to talk about um. The Toronto Marathon, obviously, uh, that's a big event. I think I saw on your website uh, what fourteen thousand runners ish. We're hoping for fourteen thousand. Okay. Uh, this year, or in twenty seventeen. Cool. We're, we're hoping for fourteen thousand. That's fourteen thousand runners overall in the event. Okay. Uh, that's marathon, half marathon, ten k, five k, and the relay to a lesser extent. Awesome. Um, the event, uh, as you know, started in 1995, and, and it's 14,000 runners from, from over 50 countries. So we, we draw certainly uh, from all across Canada and, and virtually every state, as well as uh, internationally. Is it is it the biggest is it the biggest race in Canada? Do you know? No, 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 no it's not. Um, larger running events are in in Vancouver and in, in uh, Ottawa. Oh, okay. Um, okay. So you know, all have larger marathons. Okay. Um, I'm just gonna dial it back a little bit. How uh, how did you start? Like, how did you? Um, I guess sorry, not really specific to the Toronto Marathon, but you can you can get there if you want. But how did you start into the um, kind of event management 
or uh, with the marathon, either or? Pretty underrated and, athletes. And, you know, are really professional athletes. Yeah. The, um, you know, for for the men to be able to to do the lifts and, and and do what they do, and the women certainly to be able to to be on point and and dance around like it's hard work. Absolutely. And, and, it, and it's a real workout. And you know, I, I had been a runner in high school and then always run in my younger years, and and they were looking for the ballet like reading this pamphlet that I picked up they were looking to try to expand their audience and and get new people involved and so I called them I, I phoned them up and their their foundation at the time and I asked if I could come in to see them and went in to talk to them and um, we developed the idea of, of a run mm-hmm. uh, of trying to do a 10k run and sort of a play on words called point to point. Yep. So point to point in running means obviously starting in one place, finishing in another yep. in terms of a course description. But play on words in ballet when you're on point, with an, that's point with an E on the end, is when a dancer is standing on her toes. Okay. Um, and that's on point. So sort of a little bit of play on words. We called it the National Ballet Point to Point 10K. Uh, it started and finished in front of the O'Keefe Center or at Bercy Park, um, right downtown. And, and it ran up Young Street and then down Rosedale Valley Road to Baby to Front and, and across uh, back to the finish line. Um, and developed that race and within a year or two it became the, the largest 10K in the country at that time. Oh, really? And and over the years, over the seven, eight years that we ran it, it, it grew to, at the time, the, the largest race um, in, in the country. Wow. Um, and not just the 10K. And that was, in those years, you know, mid-80s, a large race. We were, you know, eight, 9,000 people. Yeah. That, that, was, that was a large race. Yeah. Um, and, and it was a great 10K, a great course, a lot of fun, raised a lot of money for the National Ballet, uh, raised profile and and educated a lot of people as to what the ballet is and and you know met a lot of their goals not only their fundraising goals but in in their awareness goals and teaching people about the ballet and what it is and getting people interested and and ultimately hopefully converting those people into purchasing tickets uh you know for the national ballet and 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 becoming uh fans of the ballet so you know from that 
sort of developed uh, a lot of knowledge in working with the city, working with the running community uh, in organizing a running event. And, and then in the sort of early 90s, there was an existing marathon in Toronto called the, well, the last incarnation was the Shoppers Drug Mart Toronto Marathon. Okay. Its final year was in 1995. Okay. Um, and it was owned by the OTFA at the time, the Ontario Track and Field Association, now called Athletics Ontario. Okay. And they weren't going to, um, the Athletics Ontario, you know, 1995, they sort of came to the table and said this would be their last year of involvement um, that they weren't going to uh, um, continue on with the marathon the following year and Shoppers Drug Mart was bowing out of the uh, sponsorship uh, sponsorship for the event so you know I had had this running knowledge and expertise that I had developed over the years or acquired over the years and um, thought I could start or keep a marathon going in Toronto because at the time it, it didn't look like we were we were in danger of losing a marathon yeah and so uh, our first year was 1995 um it was just a marathon how many if you remember do you remember how many uh like what 1400 the... participants okay wow so um and we ran we again starting up at no Aspen square and for many years we finished at queen's park Mm-hmm. Uh, right in sort of mid-down Toronto, or, you know, uh, just north of our, our main beneficiary was Princess Margaret Hospital. So we, I had approached uh, Princess Margaret um, to be the beneficiary of the event. Uh, that took about a year to sort of get an answer from them. Yeah. Um, and and then went to work to try to, to build a marathon and try to hold a marathon in the city. Um, and get sponsors and stuff like that, and that obviously evolved over the years. Cool. Um, and you know, as I say, for many years we, we finished at Queens Park. What was important to me in developing a route was a route that would run through the city. I wanted Young Street. I wanted a point-to-point course, which meant we started up at Mel Aston Square and would finish at Queens Park. Um, by finishing at Queens Park, we'd run up University right past uh, the Princess Margaret Hospital which at the time in the mid 90s or you know 1995 was also just in the process of finishing or building I should say a uh, a new building at their present location on University Avenue uh, just north of Mount Sinai Hospital um, prior to that they there was the old facility um, on um, on Mount Pleasant uh, just uh, south of Bloor Street okay so, you know, we, we started that event in 1995, first year, had 1,400 runners, runners from probably about uh, 15 countries at the time, um, and have worked to build the event since then, um, and working with a lot of people at the city. Our sponsors, one of our first sponsors that came on uh, was John Stanton and The Running Room. Oh, yeah. Uh, which uh, I had known John because I had... He had been one of our sponsors uh, for the point-to-point 10K. Cool. And and he was, uh, you know, when I called him and told him about the idea, he was, you know, before I even gave him the whole spiel, John had, had committed to doing it and saying, you know, we're in, what do you need kind of thing. Cool. Um, and are they still, are they still a part of it today? What's that? 
Is uh, the running room still a part of it today? Yes. Yeah. The running room is, uh, you know, a founding sponsor of the event. Um, our oldest sponsor. Yeah. Um, and you know, continues to have a, a strong relationship with us. Good. Um, and and you know, we, we've of course seen you know their their business grow too. You know, I remember when the first running room store opened in Toronto, and um, you know, the store that is still there on Young Street, but when they first opened, they were half the size of the present store. Yeah, I bet. Well, those things are everywhere now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they've they've certainly grown, and you know, they've got. Uh, I don't know what the exact number is, but they're they're certainly over a hundred stores in Canada. Yeah, um, and you know, largely responsible for um, catering, certainly, and and building the running in Canada to what, to what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, like when they, the event, the first year was 95, we've grown it since then. Uh, we've, for many years, Princess Margaret was our only charity uh, that people could raise funds for. And since, uh, I guess, roughly for the past 10 years, almost, uh, we've opened it up to a lot of other charities. Oh, that's cool. Um, and people can run and raise funds for essentially a charity of their choice. Um, I find people are more receptive to that if they have uh, a little bit more say in where their where their money goes. Yeah, like I mean, certainly Princess Margaret is, is a great cause, and we chose them because, well, for various reasons. One, and the main one really was that we felt that there isn't a family or person or family in Canada that at some point won't be affected by cancer. Yeah. You know, everybody knows someone who has cancer and virtually everyone has a relative or family member that has had cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was, um, you know, for that reason that we thought PMH would resonate with our runners. Um, and as I say, they're in the process of building a brand new facility uh, in the mid-90s when we uh, at first approached them um, and, and built that up. But then over the years, you know, when we got calls or emails from lots of other great causes that had runners who wanted to run and participate but raise funds for a charity other than Princess Margaret, um, we uh, continuous or continued to sort of open the door and permit that. Um, awesome. You know, we see more and more runners come in uh, as a result of that that will run for a specific cause. Um, we've also seen in the early years that the gender um, gap um, gets smaller. So in the in the first year that we did the marathon, 1995, it was probably I can't remember exactly, but it could have been as high as around 70% male to 30% female. Oh really? And is that is that closer to fifty fifty now? Distance. And then, you know, it's it's gone down to where it is today. In the marathon, it's sixty forty to maybe fifty five, forty five roughly. Yeah. Um, again, that, male to female in the marathon distance. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't surprise me that it's started to equal out like that. But in, the, but in the half marathon distance, again, where it was initially probably 60-40, male to female, we've seen in the last few years at our event, at least, uh, it be almost 50-50, and in some cases, women, you know, 55% female. 
mm-hmm. over male in the half marathon. In the shorter distances, five and 10K, uh, it's an even split on average, but some years it's, uh, women have a little bit of an edge. So, cool. uh, you know, women are definitely running the longer distances and more of them are. Yeah. Uh, and in the shorter distances, uh, generally, uh, you know, more the, the female field in those events will often be a little larger. Yeah, that reminds me, actually. I just saw something uh, on, like, my Facebook feed or something the other day. There was a woman, and I don't even remember the city, unfortunately. Um, she ran a half marathon uh, pushing her triplets in a stroller. Did you see that? Wow. She, so she was, and she, and the article kind of went into, I guess she like you know she's not a she's not a big woman. I think it said she was, um, you know, whatever, 110 pounds or something like that. And with the three kids, I guess plus the weight of her stroller, she was pushing, I guess, roughly that as well. Wow. And she did it in, I don't remember the exact time, but it was like in and around two hours. And I was like, wow, that's. Uh, yeah, and I was like, "That's pretty badass." <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's awesome. Um, we're gonna take our just our first uh, little music break right here, though. Okay. Um, so if you could, uh, just in a you know a couple minutes or so, what's it like? Um, I personally know what it's like to run in um in big crowds like that uh i know what it's like and i'm sure a lot of runners do know what it's like to kind of be involved on the logistics side of a smaller run but like what's it what's it like controlling and managing um thousands and thousands of people like is it um sorry i'm just kind of i'm kind of rambling but you know is it is it all about kind of um setting setting it up beforehand and i know pre-planning is a huge is a huge part of it um before i keep rambling i, I guess just what's okay. you know what's uh, it uh well, you know for a lot of events and i said this to someone earlier today in a meeting if you're planning a let's say a 5k run for 500 people yeah or a 5k run for 5,000 people the, the work for the race director is basically the same yeah in terms of what you have to do and what you need to do you might obviously you've got to scale up certain things but yeah but, but the work is basically the same whether it's five or five hundred or five thousand um you know for any event hopefully you know you're, you're working a, a year out uh to organize and, and try to figure out logistics and plan uh, when you're running in on streets where most marathons or most major city marathons are run on streets um, or paved trails or something. Yeah. Um, but um, so you're working with a lot of different people at the city. So you, you've got multiple steps that you've got to go through to uh, obviously figure out a route, figure out a route that the city will permit you to run on mm-hmm. uh, and then have it surveyed and properly measured uh, and then figure out uh, logistically where you're going to have to drop barricades and cones uh, where you're going to need police officers where you're going to need regular marshals where you're going to need signage mm-hmm. and where you're going to need advanced signage 
so that residents and people who work in the area are going to know that the event is coming, uh, what streets they'll be able to use, what streets they won't be able to use. Um, there's, there's a lot of things that I think a lot of runners, though they see it out there on race day, often really don't understand the logistics and what goes into planning for it. Definitely, um, I would I say. I've often heard from from runners and from you know the general public. Yeah. Um, say to me and, and say to a lot of my friends and other race directors like well you know you plan that race what do you do the rest of the year <laughs> you know like it's only one day you know how long could that take yeah um and and they don't understand and often get it of what goes into it um it's easy for a lot of people to criticize it's easy for a lot of people to be like a cyber bully um, and to say they didn't do this or they didn't do that or they should have thought of these things. Yeah. Um, until they're in there and they try to do it themselves and realize that, you know, things just don't happen automatically. Uh, in the city of Toronto, for instance, you know, you want a tent up, a, uh, anything over 400 square feet, you need a building permit for. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't just order a tent and then uh, have a building permit, you know, magically appear. You know, you've got to supply the dimensions of the tent, various things to the fire marshal's office to show fire retardancy uh, of the tent materials, uh, have an engineer come, a certified engineer come to approve the way that the tent has been staked out and, and secured. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and all these things you have to do to get the permit. Um, and, and, and that's even given that a tent supplier, let's say, will even have a tent for you um, to the dimensions that you need. Um, and, and those are just tents, but for surveying the course, um, well, every... the course, the course has to be surveyed properly. If you're doing it on a paved course, you know, it means a couple of cyclists that have had their uh, bikes calibrated. Um, yeah. And depending on how complicated the course is, or if it's a loop course or not, or point to point, to have those points um, properly surveyed, a map properly made, that you then present to the city, to all the different departments, to uh, Toronto Police, to street events, to EMS, to fire, to the Office of Emergency Management, and all the, the players within the city that have to. Um, you know, understand the complexities of the event, um, where the course is, and and how it's going to affect uh, residents and, and local traffic, um, and what your emergency planning is. If there's a fire on a building on the course, or a car accident on the course, or an ambulance needs to get through, something like that. Like what the contingencies are, yeah, and, and how you work with that, um, as well as if. Uh, uh, you have uh, an incident on the course with one of your participants and and how you're going to get a dedicated ambulance to them or or first responders to them, um, where they're going to come from, how the course is divided up. A lot of things, you know, that runners often don't think about. You know, they, they kind of just take for granted that, you know, they've paid their fee um, and that something will be there for them yeah. In the case of someone having a, uh, uh, you know, tripping on the course or having a heart attack on the course. Yeah, yeah. Um, and an ambulance, you know, will come or the fire department will come. Um, so, 
a lot of that knowledge over the years and the city like I mean I've seen the city over the past 25 years change a lot of their protocols and and the way that they do things to to better serve not only the running community but a lot of other events that they uh, that they work on mm-hmm. um, and as bureaucratic as the city is um, a lot of things actually have gotten streamlined and, and much better over the years in the way things are run. Yeah. Um, and pardon the pun, but you know the way things are organized. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, um, I know what you meant. <laughs> but, yeah, but but for you know the whole permit process, pretty well. You know, after the marathon, um, and I would say this is probably true with most events, most larger events around the world. You know, the next day you're planning, you're you're beginning to plan for the following year. Yep. And day of, you know, the race director or event director or manager, whatever you want to call them, are often looking around and trying to look for issues or problems and think, how can we make this better? How can we fix this next year? Absolutely. Um, Volunteers are are a huge part of any event. Yeah. Certainly, you know, for the marathon, um, we depend on volunteers. And, you know, we try to make sure that our participants... And for the most part, you know, I've seen it firsthand. A lot of the participants are really, really good at knowing and thanking volunteers when they pass a water station or a marshal on the course that gives them direction or something. Yeah. You know, they'll say thank you. And, you know, we love that. And, you know, we love our volunteers. We can't, we're dependent on our volunteers. Every event, you know, they're an integral part of the, of the event. Um, and you know you need them at water stations you need them to marshal the course um, and you want the participants they're there for the participants and and it's nice when the participants acknowledge them and and thank them and and I, I've seen it many times and last year uh, in particular when we had the worst weather we had had in 20 years um, oh really the water stations um, some volunteers, some water stations that were actually staffed pretty light. Okay. Um, and and that was unfortunate. And volunteers, uh, you know, when they make the commitment to volunteer, they've got to understand that this is a commitment and people are depending on them. Yeah. And that, it, and that it's rain or shine. Um, and that if it's raining in the morning or colder in the morning, that, you know, we still need you out there to, uh, to help make the event a success and to, and to be there for our participants. Uh, and as I say, some of our stations were pretty light because volunteers didn't come or show up because the weather was so inclement. Well, yeah, it's it's bad weather, right? And then the mindset kind of goes, oh, well, you know, I'm just volunteering for it. I'm, you know, it's not a paid gig or whatever. But at the end of the day, if, you know, if, uh, you know, 20, 30, 40 percent of your volunteers do that, that's a that's a big problem, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. So, um you know that that's a big problem. We always tell people when we go into running clubs and and, and clinics and stuff, um, and we speak to runners, and you know a lot of them might be participating in our event, but we'll say, look, you know, if you're not participating, you know, come out and volunteer, work a water station, um, um, help to marshal the course, be a bike marshal, be a stationary marshal. Uh, work at our finish line or, or at the start line and, and help with a particular, you know, segment of the event. Um, and the best volunteers at running events are other runners. Absolutely. People who understand and have the knowledge and know what runners are looking for. 
yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and what they want. And, you know, there's a technique to handing out water at a water station or Gatorade. And, you know, it seems simple, but to show someone how to properly hold a cup so that you can pass it off to a person when they're running by without spilling it, um, you, you know, is you pay attention because, you know, people have knowledge on how to do that properly and not everybody knows how to do it and they think if you just hand them a cup and people who don't know how to do it you know they'll hand a runner a cup and half the water or gatorade or whatever might be in it you know will spill yeah Um, it's it's often the little details like that that um that end up mad like mattering in the long run yeah and you know there's a lot of details you know that that go into planning an event uh, especially a larger event in the city uh, where you're dealing with road closures and dealing with sometimes security issues, um, and, and some years they're more elevated than others um, on contingencies and, and what to do, um, and and certainly, you know, every race director, every event manager wants their event to go off smoothly and without incident, mm-hmm. um, and you know, running events. It's quite common for people to have issues on the course or at the finish line uh, to have medical issues. Um, you work closely with the police, with the EMS, uh, and your own core volunteers uh, to make sure that you're, you're covered or that help will get to someone in distress yeah. uh, quickly. Um, and you know, some runners don't always understand that. Like, I mean, again, they know it's there, but don't always understand or appreciate that, you know, this was in our plan and where we might be pulling an ambulance from or a dedicated ambulance from. Um, You know, and it goes to one of the reasons why, you know, we often discourage people from wearing headphones when they run. Mm -hmm. And again, knowing and fully understanding um, that many, many, many runners out there love to wear headphones when they run. They, They need music. They it's their motivation it keeps them going and and um and they love to to be listening to music when they run mm-hmm. often they have a crank so loud uh, that they can't hear what's going on around them yeah that... And, and that can be a danger to to themselves and certainly to other people who are running around them and so we've told people over the years like I mean, first we tried to say you know please do not wear or you you might be disqualified if you're wearing, you know, headphones. Yep. And we've softened that over the years to say, and we never did disqualify anyone for wearing them, but we we certainly tried to make people aware of the dangers of wearing them when you're running in a larger race, and that you can't hear if someone's running up behind you and says, "Please move to the left," or "Please move to the right," or 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 something like that, or even an ambulance or police car or fire truck, you know, coming through where they can't hear. And, and I've seen it. Yeah. I've seen an event where I've been in the lead vehicle um, and with the siren going and with the police car going and, and runners are there, you know, where our course merges yeah. at points and, and runners running with headphones and totally oblivious that, you know, there's a, a car, you know, coming up behind them, a police car, blasting their horn or their siren especially i find not hearing them yeah and and not getting out of the way especially with those newer like noise canceling headphones you can't hear anything if you have it at a pretty good volume or whatever 
Yep, and, and it's dangerous. And again, you know, if you're out on a trail and you're running on a trail and you're wearing headphones, great. If you're running on city streets, you're almost safer to run with headphones when you're on a closed course, you know, running in a marathon or half marathon or 10K because the course is coned and barricaded and stuff. Well, people are aware of you. you know, but, but then you're still a danger to other people and, and those around you. And if you're running just recreationally and out for a run, out for a, a Sunday morning run, let's say you're doing 10K uh, and you're still stopping at, at, at intersections, at traffic lights and stuff. Yeah. But if you can't hear a, a car coming through or a cyclist coming through or a cyclist bell, even if you're running on a trail, if you're running on the Martin Goodman Trail, you know, which is open to rollerbladers and cyclists and strollers, and if you've got headphones in and the volume's cranked, I've seen it. I've seen runners get hit by, by cyclists, um, and or runners run into strollers. Yeah. Um, you know, and... I had an incident, um, what was it? It was it was like a couple, year, couple weeks ago, if that, and... Uh, it was just a short route. Like I didn't have much time, but I was trying to get out before work. Um, I think it was like between four and five kilometers I went on and I had to like full out dodge um, about three cars. <laughs> and, and I was I was actually not wearing headphones. Um, what was happening is it was just, it was, uh, it was um, drivers making like right-hand turns in front of me and not, not checking both ways, I guess, before they were going. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Anyways, yeah, it was... It was yeah, uh, well, and that's scary, and that's, you know, you're running on the roads and drivers aren't checking, a runner has the right of way. Yeah. You know, the, you're, you're running through, uh, you know, um, at a crosswalk or crossing the road or whatever. But even when you're, you know, I've seen runners, you know, running, you know, on the, even out here in Uxbridge, where they're running on the shoulder, which is not paved most of the time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you should be running against traffic so you can see the traffic coming. Every now and then I've seen runners running in the same lane with traffic so they don't hear what's behind them and they're wearing headphones and I think that's just crazy. Absolutely. Because you don't know what's coming up behind you and, you know, you, you it's dangerous. Yeah. So it, it's a lot of educating runners. You know, I've seen runners at water stations um, literally, you know, take a, a cup of water or Gatorade and, you know, have a little bit, you know, have a gulp and then throw the cup over their head and, yeah. and like hit the runner behind them and the runner behind them gets a head full or a face full of Gatorade <laughs> um, and, and not pleasant, Yeah, you know, especially, you know, Gatorade that gets in your eyes, it stings, it's sticky, you know, it depending on what color it is, you know, if you're, if you're wearing a white shirt too, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or if it's cold out and all of a sudden you got, you know, liquid in your face, like, I mean, it, it will affect the, the rest of your race. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, so even just to tell runners, look, you know, you sip your Gatorade, sip your water, please be sure to, if there's any liquid left in it, to drop it to the side and pour it out and drop the cup to the side instead of throwing it um, behind you or something. Yeah. Um, and you know, just to educate runners to do that, when you get to the finish line of a race, don't stop the second you cross the finish line. You know, to, to walk it out and keep on going. Yeah, um, I. Uh... And I've seen runners at so many races. Like, I mean, somebody you know runs the race. They're they're sprinting to the finish. They cross the finish line. They cross the the timing mat, and they come to a dead stop. And you know, the guys behind them are running. 
and, and they hit them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're, they're running all out to sprint across the finish, and, you know, that, that's why you have long shoots to, to keep, you know, to run it out. The first run I did with um, my fiancé now, uh, it was the Sporting Life 10K, and she, and she did that right when she crossed the finish line. She And I was like, no, 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 we got to keep moving, got to keep moving. And uh, she, luckily there was no collisions or anything, but... Um, but yeah, well, I was I, I was on top of that pretty quick. Like 10K. I, I've seen it in multiple events all over the all over the world. Yeah, um, as well as different distance events uh, in and around Toronto, um, and, and and it's you know the the more seasoned runners know that, um, and they know that when they run that they should be uh, yeah that you cross the finish line you've got a continue to move forward and walk it out don't stop unless you're obviously in distress or something yeah yeah but um, but, but it's, it's a problem sometimes because I've seen people come to a dead stop somebody comes behind and they hit them other people stop and and then all of a sudden you've got uh, you've got like a, a backlog of runners absolutely you know, a traffic jam of runners yeah there. but um, you know on the course though generally you know, my my thing is, you know, I would tell runners if you're running a long distance, if you're wearing headphones and really feel that you have to wear headphones and listen to music, don't crank the volume um, or maybe just um, have a headphone in one ear mm-hmm. and leave one ear without. And that way you can still hopefully hear if anyone's shouting directional uh, things to you that, that, that you can still hear it, um, you know, would help. Totally. Uh, you know, I'm doing the Holly Jolly run this weekend, uh, the Santa Claus Parade. Oh, right on. And we've got, you know, for the run, it's sold out. It's capped at 1,000 runners. Um, and it's a 5K course, very fast 5K, just across Bloor and Bloor Street and down University Avenue around Queen's Park. And we finish up at the Air Canada Center. Yeah. So it's a very fast, flat or net downhill course. That- and But you also have roughly seven to eight hundred thousand spectators on the course that's awesome there's no other event in canada that has that many spectators and um and we tell people not to wear headphones because the spectators like i mean there isn't parts of the course do have barricades but a lot doesn't and and you've got a lot of young kids children on the course that are you know writing messages to santa claus and chalk and and playing in the street because the road is closed before the parade actually comes through <laughs> and you know if runners are all wearing headphones you know they might not hear and and risk hitting a child you know who's who's out on out, the street playing yeah. or, or drawing or something and and they don't see them or they don't hear you know, a parent or someone yelling, you know, there's a kid there or slow down or turn or whatever. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think it's incumbent on runners just to, you know, to be responsible. Um, you know, everybody wants to, has a different running style and what they need when they run and, and we get it if you need music, but, um, I totally, you can still hear what's going on because it's really important. I totally agree. Um, Listen, I uh, I hate to kind of cut this short, but I do have to go run and uh, I have to go run and pick up. <laughs> and again, no pun intended. I have to go run and pick up my uh, my son. Okay. Um, uh, look, like I know we've sort of talked about 
about lots of different stuff, perhaps off, some of it off topic than no, it was, what you thought. But, it was good. Um, we can have another conversation next week if, if, you, if you feel the need and shoot me some questions. I, I know I was sort of rambling too on, on, uh, on some stuff. So. Um, you know what? Yeah, if, if you have some free time, you know, I know... I know you're a busy guy and definitely leading up to your uh, May race. I didn't, there was a couple other things I wanted to get to that we didn't quite have time to. Um, well, we can do it next time. Yeah. So, so maybe one day next week, uh, um, fire me an email and, and let's see if we've got one day, you know, around the same time, if that works for you and, and, and we'll try. Okay, okay. cool. I, I do appreciate, uh, I do appreciate you taking the time though. And, um, there's definitely some great insight. I think there's a lot, there's a lot to learn from someone like yourself who organizes, um, and you know that's what we've kind of been talking about the last few minutes. But there's a lot to learn from someone who organizes these events, both as, both as a race director, as a volunteer, as a runner. Um, so yeah, well, I just uh, thank you for ta- thank you for taking the time. Yeah, man, my pleasure. Thank you, and uh, and let me know if I can assist you in, in any way. Again. Uh, Absolutely. Um, don't be, uh, don't hesitate to, to fire me an email if uh, if you want another conversation. Okay. Will do. I uh, I also I work for uh, for Honda and I believe they. Oh wow! In Allison. Yeah. Ah oh, well, we have uh, so you probably. They cover our that. they cover our uh, our entrance for you, whatever. So I'm gonna try and run um, your race this yeah, year. Yeah, well, Honda we Honda was a sponsor for many many years. Yeah. Um, you know, of the event, I would love to have Honda back, but it was through Honda Canada, not through Honda manufacturing. Yeah, it was more like the the marketing end. Though so we always had links to Honda manufacturing, and we we usually get we we've had as many as twenty teams, relay teams from Honda come down to run in the event. Yeah, o- over the years, and Honda's been great. So that's very cool. Good. How long have you been with Honda? Uh, about a year and a half now. It's not bad, yeah. I'm, uh, you know, I'm kind of at the bottom right now, but um, hopefully that, uh, hopefully that changes in the next little well, bit. A lot of people that I've met at Honda over the years, like I mean, there are a lot of people that have been there for many, many years. Yeah. So uh, it's a testament to the company and to how they treat their employees. Yeah. So. No, they uh, they do a lot of good stuff for us. Uh, light cover the entrance V2. I know they did it last year, so I uh, yeah. I assume yeah, they, they'll do it this year. For many, many years. Cool. Um, and and we used to go to the fitness center at Honda to like a little sort of health and fitness expo yeah i don't know if they ever do that anymore they do uh, some stuff yeah what's that they do about they do a few different kind of things like that yeah so um but uh you know whatever uh, we've been pretty receptive whenever honda's called us and asked for something we usually try to uh accommodate them so cool uh, they're good people anyway uh, go get your son and, and maybe we'll speak next week awesome okay? well thanks Take again care. for the time and have Bye-bye. a good night Bye-bye. bye bye bye